This is a Research in Practice podcast, supporting evidence-informed practice with children and families, young people and adults. In this podcast, Jeanette Sutton talks to Anna Severite about co-production and the recent Research in Practice evidence review that was co-produced with Social Care Feature. The evidence review is based on the five key changes outlined by Social Care Futures, whose social care is at any way inquiry group. The evidence review outlines the changes that are needed to make life better and equal for those who draw on social care. Let's start by introducing ourselves. Anna, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Anna Severite. I'm one of the conveners of a movement called Social Care Future. There's four of us conveners. And I'm a person who draws on social care. So I've had direct payment now for over 10 years and employed personal assistance in my home. And that's kind of how I got into the world of social care, I guess. And um, I'm Jeanette Sutton and I'm with Research and Practice. And it was my role in this project, which we're going to talk about today, to coordinate the groups that we had in our evidence review to facilitate discussion. And um, I also brought the material together at the end. And what we're here today to talk about is how the project started, some of the important things that, that came out of it. And um, I thought we could do that by really starting with the five key changes, which is where it all came from. So Anna, could you um, explain a little bit about those, please? So Social Care Future is a sort of, we call ourselves a social movement. And we started about five years ago. And one of the reasons that we sort of held our first event was that people with lived experience were not often present at large conferences or uh, meetings where, you know, the future of social care was being discussed. Uh, and we felt that was wrong. So we held an event and we called it a gathering uh, where anyone was welcome. People themselves who draw on social care or their family members, but also allies working in the sector. And from that, we realised that there needed to be a space for people to come together to talk about what social care could be and to try and make that happen. That was kind of where we started from. So right from the beginning, that voice of lived experience was really important. And I think a couple of years in to Social Care Future, we thought, well, actually, we're fed up of having these inquiries and committees and commissions happening kind of over there. And there might be a sort of a token person with lived experience on the group or, I mean, I've done it myself. I've been that person sometimes. Um, or, you know, we get asked to sort of say what we think, mm. but we're not really involved. And certainly we don't have any power in that situation. And so we decided that we would hold our own inquiry, uh, which in the end became called Whose Care Is It Anyway? And we would lead it ourselves. So there was a group of 12 of us people who are all ourselves or our family members drew on social care. Quite a varied range of experiences, um, people with dementia, people with learning disabilities, people like myself with physical disability. So all kind of coming together to use our expertise to lead that inquiry and to hear from other people with lived experience. And we heard from over 500 people. And from what we heard from everybody, kind of came out with these five key changes and a relatively short report which is available on the social care future website 
um, because we didn't want it to be like a sort of select committee inquiry report that's, you know, 120 odd pages. Uh, we wanted it to be something that anybody could pick up, understand and get something from. And we also wanted it to be something practical. So we had some first asks at the back of that for individuals, for the government, for local councils. You know, we wanted there to be some sort of action from it. So the five key changes that we came up with were communities where everyone belongs, living in the place we call home, leading the lives we want to live, more resources, better used, and sharing power as equals. And we felt that if those five things kind of were improved on and everybody experienced those in their lives, that, that would kind of be allowing us to lead an equal life to people that didn't need to draw on social care. We talked about, yeah, five key changes to unlock an equal life. That was where those five key changes came from. And I think from um, research and practices point of view, because I think we came into the picture at the publication of this of mm. this report. And um, what was really interesting, and our assistant director, Lisa, um, took this up really, is every 18 months research and practice have what's called an evidence review, where one of the bigger issues in adult social care is looked at in some depth, um, often in that 120-page format that you were that you were describing. They're often quite big books or PDFs because there's such depth in it. And um, so, ones that we'd done before were working with complexity and aging well. And but for this one. Um, the inspiration was very different because the messages, like you like you said, with those key changes came directly from people who draw on social care. And when we came across it, it wasn't only like, what does the research say about this? It was also about, well, how is that research interpreted? And of course, research is usually interpreted by people either with a background in research or people who specialise in that subject. Very rarely does that analysis go out to people who draw on social care themselves, which you know we can talk about a little bit more as well. So we set it up to be, well, I would be the only quote unquote professional on this project. The rest would be made up of people with lived experience of social care and people who support them through a caring role or have done have done in the past. And we convened five groups to represent the five key changes. And people could choose which group that they wanted to be on, which spoke to their interests. And we had five meetings on each topic um, over, I think it was probably about sort of six or six or seven months, really. And I was so infused by the stuff that was coming out. I mean, it was a project that I'd, I'd never worked on anything like it. And, you know, I hope I get to work on something similar in the future because it just proved to me how skewed the usual dynamic is through professionals and people who draw on, on social care. And I think what we, what we produced in the end and what we've now published is a really amazing look at those five key changes. And the stuff that comes from it is what people think they mean. So within each of those like key changes, there are sub-themes that really go into a bit more mm -hmm. depth. We bring out the research and then just like, again, reflecting your original ethos, it's a call to action as well. You know, people were saying, well, this is what needs to happen 
of it. And one of the one of the things that people say, well, we do not want this to be just another thing that sits on a shelf somewhere is way too important for that. Like I said, it kind of struck me that when I was doing this, how unusual it was, really. So I wondered what you thought about why that might be, why using both lived experience and academic research is important and why it doesn't seem to happen more often. I think there's often a lot of lip service paid to like the word co-production. So I think people or lived experience or, you know, sometimes people might have a a separate co-production group over there that they sort of go to for a bit of advice and kind of to, to check things, sound things out or, you know, and I think um, real co-production where actually like power is shared is... It's, I think it's often quite hard to do, but I also think people are often quite scared of it because it involves them letting go of some of that control that they've had for a long yeah, time. Yeah, for sure. And not, yeah, and not knowing where that piece of work is going to go because the whole idea is that actually you as a professional or that organisation or whatever it is don't have all the answers. It's a, a bringing together of, of minds and, and ideas and that actually at the end, I think you get something better and more interesting and more real and grounded in reality and practical. And But you sort of have to have that leap of faith, I think. Mm. And people are often so used to the ways that things have always happened. And we do see some progress. Like So one of the things we've had, we did at one point was ask speakers to take a pledge that they wouldn't speak at events if there was nobody with lived experience on the panel speaking. But, you know, just today I've had a couple of emails through about events that are happening in the next few weeks where there's a panel of four or five experts on social care, not one of them with lived experience. And even when I am on the panel or someone like me is on the panel, we're like sort of still outnumbered and, and we're, we mm. can be just seen as like, oh, we're nice to have, but we're not an expert. I think it's trying to squash that idea of what is expertise, what is knowledge, what is skills. There's a, there's a lot of assumptions and dare I say it sort of ableism and ageism and you know you know it was a lot of work went into this it takes time it's not necessarily an easier process but that actually it's the right way to do stuff and I think uh, you get a much richer result at the end yeah I think that that point about power and control is actually a really really key one and a lot of organisations, whatever they are, whether they're third sector, whether they're local authorities, there is like, well, we need to have these outputs, we need to have these outcomes, mm. we need to know where this is going, how much it's going to cost, what kind of time yeah. it's going to take up. And, you know, you can do that to a certain extent with co-production, but if you're sticking too rigidly to them, it's likely that you're not going to be co-producing something because you won't be co-producing those outcomes. They won't emerge as you go on. And there won't be the scope to change things as new things come up. It kind of, for me, that would inhibit the open-mindedness that's mm. really necessary for it. That leap of faith, especially at the beginning, is mm. when you might not see things for a while. It's a, it's relationships, yes. trust, yeah. which was something that I found to be really, really important in this project. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think actually some some of the people involved in this project have been involved in other pieces of work in the past. For others, it might have been their first sort of time really doing co-production in this way. But I think a lot of us have had experiences where, you know, we get told, oh, we're, we're going to co-produce this piece of work. And then it becomes very like tick boxy or you, you actually don't get to have any real influence. And you think I'm wasting my time here. It's co-production in name, but not in method. So I think actually building that trust, you almost have to actually give people the belief that, oh, no, actually, this is really is going to be co-produced because it's unusual. And it's a shame that it's unusual, but I think that's one of the great things about this project, that actually it was properly co-produced. <laughs> um, and, yeah, there's not many out there that I can think of that I'd go, oh, yeah, that's really, really genuine co-production, starting from a really sort of blank place of, OK, you've got the five key changes, but then now what? And sort of where you go from there um, was led by the groups. And that's one of the well, that's one of the nicest things that you could that you could say about the project manager that it does represent because I know how experienced you are in in co-production, and I think that also what you, what you were saying earlier about tokenism was really really important too, and this idea that people are put on projects to only talk about their own lived experience, like as if they don't have opinions or thoughts about other things as well. So it was like, I think that's where the breadth of the key changes was really important. So we had a lot of different people on this on this project with a lot of different experiences. But for instance, someone who was living with dementia wouldn't only just want to talk about dementia. You know, there's there's lots of other opinions and thoughts that people have, and you just got to be open-minded to that. It's just like the idea that people will stay with the label that has been given to them is just something yeah. you've got to get out of your mind with co-production. Too often, yeah, we we put labels on people and we we sort of minimise and we forget that actually we all are complicated humans with all these different aspects to our lives and I mean even the five key changes it's really hard to sort of separate them because they all overlap so massively you know no one's life is split into five areas. I like the kind of chaos of co-production in the sense of you don't know what you're going to get but mm -hmm. you sort of put all these different bits in and then you see something come out that's totally more than you could have expected but in a different way. Um, but I guess for some people that are probably used to really tight project plans and things, that, that probably fills them with fear. Um, but I guess I don't want people to call things co-produced if they're not. You know, I think I think some too often now it's a word that's kind of getting used wrongly. And, I, and sometimes it might not be appropriate to co-produce everything. I'm not suggesting that literally every, you know, but I think people need to be honest about what is and isn't co-production yeah and I think it's it was it was interesting because um and you should always be open to challenge about about that and again for me another thing with 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 co-production there was a really good moment um when one of the group members challenged the fact that we were just looking at adult social care and that we weren't looking at transitions from children's mm -hmm. services into adult social care. And that made me think, I was like, well, yeah, there were certain outcomes that were set before 
this project as well. Mm-hmm. You get into all sorts of amazing philosophical debates with other people and yourself about yeah. what it's all about. Yes, and and there do still have to be some parameters, don't there? Because a co-production doesn't just mean it goes on forever and, and kind of is this open-ended thing that can become so big or so kind of broad or not achieve the goals that it was set up to achieve. You know, there, there are still structures and there are still things that are important that we we reach and things so it's not it's not just a sort of just anything goes kind of a situation but I think it's about telling people up front sort of what are the parameters and what we are trying to achieve and even questioning those and then kind of agreeing together what those will be and kind of working towards them and that's that's a really good point as well that it's not open-ended there's a product in co-production that's inherent in the in the language of it. We're looking to achieve something. It's not just yeah. a shop as well, which is yeah. Different. In the um, in the evidence review, um, as people will see when they when they go onto it, the whole thing has loads of quotes and video material from all of all of the group members. So there's some amazing quotes there as well, um, and. One of the quotes that I really like was that we need to share and celebrate the outcomes of co-production. I think we can get caught up talking about the mechanics of it and how we do it. Mm. Actually, showing this is what can be achieved with it is like super important as well to say this was this was the process and there were certain things we can learn from the process. But this is what Mm. it can achieve when you when you do it and it will be different and it will be more special than something without it but it will be just as useful an evidence review if not more so than the other evidence reviews like this isn't a sort of lesser sort of oh this is the nice one that the lived experience people did and like special project kind of thing you know this is just as as valuable and I think that in itself sends a really important message and I hope people do use it and do look at some of the things that were raised in it and kind of question and maybe how they're working in their organizations or think oh could we do that here like could we actually even be prepared to kind of try something like that because so many organizations of sort of power is so entrenched and and hierarchy and all of these things um in the way we work and sometimes you need to sort of pause and reflect on that and um, like you say, with challenge, but challenge not in a kind of argumentative way, yeah. but in a much more in a kind of reflective and questioning and working through it together kind of a way. I think absolutely because I think one of the one of the things that can hamper co-production is when people get defensive about yeah. things. Yeah, which again is a little bit of an expression of not being able to let go of power, perhaps. Yeah. And you. You don't want people to be um, afraid to say things because they worry that, like, their support is going to be affected if it's with, like, a local authority or that they're going to be badged as a troublemaker or all of these kind of things. It's like I think there's some delicate power situations with co-production, which thankfully with an organisation like Research and Practice, we don't have those considerations being like a a separate organization but I think perhaps when local authorities are involved in co-production there's a different set of dynamics Mm -hmm. that can be 
harder to overcome in some ways. Yeah, definitely. And I even think amongst, you know, people with lived experiences, even power dynamics, you know, it's not a case of, oh, professionals all have all the power and they have to give it all over to, you know, I think in any situation there's dynamics and it's about being aware of those and thinking about them and even the language that you use or the ways you hold meetings the times of day that the meetings are held you know the amount of times i have to say to people i can't be in central london at 9 a.m like it's just not going to happen as a disabled person like and then have to often repeat that over and over again because they just sort of forget because the world is set up that we're all like working nine to five and and fit and healthy and it's you know there's there's so many different aspects of kind of I suppose adjusting to make it work for different people mm. and that will look different with whatever group you have and I think that's about learning together and being open and honest and flexible and trying to do what you can one of the first things we did in the in the groups that we had was we just spent sort of 15 minutes thinking about how we would want to to sort of run these groups and they were all different Anna they were all different the mm -hmm. kind of things that we that we came out with my favorite one was um, I think it was in the leading the lives we want to live group which was um, we are allowed to swear because these are like issues that we feel mm -hmm. passionate about um, yeah. and yeah I did minute those swears as well you know because they were yeah I think they should all look different you know I often say that about Karen's port plans like no two people's care and support plan should ever look the same mm. because obviously like what we want out of our lives should always be individual and in each situation of of work how you want to work is going to look different because that individual group are all going to bring parts of themselves to that that if you had a different group of six people it could look very different and i think that's really nice and amazing but perhaps for people that are very used to a very corporate all our meetings look like this and we always sit here and we, we take minutes in this way and we, you know, this is the agenda and this is how we do things. It's it's not about trying to, I suppose, make us fit into that corporate mould. It's about starting from a bit more of a space of, well, let's work out what works for everyone. And like offering offering options and, you know, thinking thinking through things in a, in a different way, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes online meetings work for some people sometimes like in in person meetings sometimes separate phone calls work for people you know just trying to make sure that people have the options for yeah. being involved are there things from this that you learned that you think you'll take on like through the rest of your work pretty much everything Anna <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the the, the the greatest one is um, the sense of my own reflections. And we all like to think of ourselves as open-minded. You know, that's w one of the qualities that pretty much probably everyone thinks that they have. No one likes to think that they're kind of um, biased or, you know, not open to, to new things. But I genuinely realised with this, the assumptions that I'd made about what a project would look like when I was when I was into it, I found it more and more ridiculous that more projects weren't like this because you know I'm I'm in my 40s now and it's the first time I've been involved in a in a, in a project like this. So you start to realise how skewed that dynamic is. Mm. I also realised that um, 
I hadn't heard such distilled amount of lived experience of the social care system in such a short period of time. And what that did for me is moved me completely out of the abstract with everything and into the concrete um, as I as I sort of heard and was able to build up a picture through this project of people's thoughts on what needed to happen and what needed to change, which was different from in angle from what I'd what I'd heard before. And I think the other thing that I learned as well was not to underestimate the emotional aspect that that takes on as well. That I think that um, one of the things I had underestimated was how both upsetting and inspiring at points I would find this project. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, moving into thinking about sort of maybe pieces of advice we can we can give people, that would be one of mine really. Don't underestimate the emotional impact it can have on everybody involved and make sure you mm-hmm. look after yourselves with it. Pretty good advice. I think I like that this is a, an evidence review because I think that in itself sounds very sort of serious and academic and quite like important and proper. Yeah. And and yet it's been done in this way and and perhaps it smashes some stereotypes of like, you know, people might have thought, oh, you could have like a co-produced, I don't know, video about social care or you could have a co-produced like vision for social care but you couldn't have an evidence review because that's like a proper academic thing that that um you know is is sort of very different and so i'm really pleased that actually it's shown that no of course you can and yeah uh, people have a lot more capability i guess than often we're given credit for um and different capability and it might not be yeah we're not all don't get me wrong, you know, we're not all PhD students, but we we don't have to be PhD students yeah. to be able to, to do this stuff. The, the seriousness of it is a really, really good point, I think, that it's, it's something that sits alongside those other evidence reviews. Um, and when we had the group discussions, we weren't just sort of talking in the abstract about things. We had the research and it was like, well, what does this mean? And people were not afraid to say, well, this is outdated. This feels like it doesn't speak to me. This uh, and like people are used to in, in like the professional world are used to thinking, oh, research says that, you know, we must take and and like for the kind of being able to look at it through that analysis without reducing the kind of um, basis of the research that's used in this was amazing. I guess though that raises another point that actually the people who are deciding what gets researched and the re- and how the research is done and what questions get asked are probably not usually, you know, very rarely people with lived experience. And you know, this, this, these sort of conversations and this sort of power sharing is be happening at all different places and, you know, at universities, at academic institutions, research grant boards, you know, all these different places. Because actually, I would probably say that I wanted to research something completely different to what people that might have worked in, you know, social care policy for 40 years think is the key question. Um, and both questions might be 
equally valid to, to look into. It's not that mine's more right than theirs necessarily. It's just that they're different. And, and if the whole voice is just left out of those discussions, yeah. the evidence that we get at the other end is going to be all with one angle and lens. And, you know, it's 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 a bit like how now we, you know, we wouldn't do research into sort of multiculturalism and, and racism without having people from different ethnic groups doing research and being part of those conversations. We wouldn't just have an all white university doing that, that research and, and that's great, but somehow social care seems to still be quite stuck in that sort of mm. professional model of academics. And I think we need that at all levels so that the evidence we can review, maybe in 20 years time, if we did this again, actually people might be saying, oh yeah, this evidence, this this research really speaks to me because this seems to be like, you know, and yeah. Be, might be a bit different let's do it again in 20 years time <laughs> see what's changed yeah there we go there we go yeah wow Who knows? Um, before before we um before we stop i really wanted to um know what social care future are doing at the moment and um, what pieces of work you've got going on oh well we've got as always seem to be doing lots of different things but got sort of three main prongs I guess of our current plan so we've got what we're calling the power of stories so we're really looking at the change in the language still around how we talk about social care we've just launched an animation that's really short but in everyday language voiced by um, the wonderful actress Liz Carr that's that's trying to tell what social care should be in a much broader sense than just you know gets you out of bed and keeps you fed and watered but mm -hmm. actually it's about people's lives so we're still doing all of that and trying to talk trying to sort of see how we can start to talk to the wider public about what social care should be um, and change sort of the media perception then we've got what we're calling people power which this fits nicely into in a sense because that's all around this idea of how we can get people with lived experiences voices heard and part of those decision making it's not just being, like, being heard it's actually making decisions and having some of that sharing that power um and supporting people to get into the right positions to be able to to um, do that and to have the skills that, that will give them the confidence to do it and then the other bit for us is i guess around still trying to influence the system and we've got a couple of communities of practice and a community of providers and lots of different things that we're trying to do so busy as ever but I think it's about keeping going really with that vision that we have which is the we all want to live in the place we call home with the people and things that we love in communities where we look out for one another doing the things that matter to us we we sort of all just keep going trying to to um get more people's lives towards that and in whatever way we we can really so yeah we're keeping going and, and we'll be um, we'll be speaking soon, won't we, about this uh, evidence review as well at a conference. So that would be nice. And uh, yeah, I hope lots of people use this this resource in lots of different ways. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, it's like, the, and, and it's, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for people to use it mm. as well. You know, there is a section in every single one of the sub themes in every single one of the key changes about what you can do. So mm. whether you are in direct practice, whether you're a head of service, whether you're a manager, whether you're somebody who draws on social care mm. and wants to know mm. the kind of things that you can 
ask for, your rights, further information, all of that. It's useful across the board. Yeah. And um, one of my one of my favourite things um, in the project really is its um, bigness. Bigness, that word. <laughs> Because um, I remember like in, in the middle of the project and it was in the sharing power as equals group, it, you know, when you're in the middle of something and that's when it feels most overwhelming because you can't see the end of it. And I felt comfortable enough in my relationships with the group to say, you know, this is this is starting to feel just really, really big. And one of the group members said, um, well, number one, this is something that we're that we're all feeling you know it's not just on you which again was a really uh -huh. good reminder and um one of the things that he also said was it feels right that it should be big because this is complex and uh -huh. we don't want to put it all in little boxes so again yeah. from that point on i was just like yeah that's absolutely right and that was another like key moment for me that sort of mm. made me think how important this was and how people can get loads of stuff from it because it is all encompassing there will be something for you if you are listening to this podcast yeah. there will be something for you in it yeah and it's not designed that you start from page one and you go through to well it isn't a book so you can't start page one <laughs> and go through to page 100 but but it's actually something you can dip in out in and out of and and at different times a different section might be relevant to what you're yeah. doing at that point so you know it's a sort of living breathing resource rather than a sort of static thing that yeah the opposite of a dusty report for sure that's great and thank you for all your hard work writing it all and, and getting it to that place and um and bringing those groups together and working through that process to get it to where we are now I think it's it's great well thank you Anna and like I could not have done it without the support that we had um, in our monthly meetings and catch-ups as well. And, uh, yeah, I just found the whole project. Now it's done. I miss it. Yeah. I just miss it. <laughs> so <laughs> so there's, there's that as well. That, that's perhaps my final piece of advice for co-production. You know, when it's done, when a project is done, you will miss it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But you still have those relationships and maybe in the future, like, can work with some of those people again in a different way or something yeah yeah, yeah for sure thanks for listening to this research in practice podcast we hope you've enjoyed it why not share with your colleagues and let us know your thoughts on twitter tweet us at researchip.com